Open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. As we ended the previous assembly, we were in Genesis chapter 3, where we read the words, the written historical record of the Lord Jehovah's words to the devil himself, that the woman would have a male seed and he would bruise the devil's head, a fatal wound, and the devil would only cause a minor wound to the male seed. So, when we come to Luke chapter 3, and we find that Luke takes the genealogy of Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam, we appreciate that. Because in Genesis 3, we have this promised seed of a woman that is coming, and this male seed is going to destroy the devil. And Luke gives us plenty of details in Luke chapter 1 that Mary did not have a husband that knew her when she conceived Jesus, because she asked, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? It was truly the woman's seed, and the Holy Ghost came upon her, and the power of the highest overshadowed her, and she conceived by the direct intervention of God himself. But now we're in Genesis 22. This is the chapter where Abraham is asked by God to take Isaac into a mountain and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Abraham goes as far as he's able, raises the knife to slay his son Isaac, and the Lord calls to him out of heaven. And we want these words beginning in the 15th verse. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven." And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. If you were Theophilus, and you had the opportunity to hear Paul preach, Paul would have preached what you're able to read in Galatians chapter 3, and explained to you that Abraham's seed was Christ. Because he used the singular seed in passages like this, like in verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, instead of seeds, and Paul would explain it as Christ. And so you, knowing some Old Testament scriptures, possibly from the synagogues of the Jews, you would see that there was a promise made. And Paul is saying that Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of the Jews, was the seed of Abraham. And you just might be skeptical enough, or you might be inquisitive of enough, or you might be noble enough, Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, noble enough to want to see the scriptures with a lineage for Jesus Christ all the way back to Abraham. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you, Luke, and thank you, Lord, for causing both of those men to trace back as far as Abraham. Because here is a seed... And we are a nation of the earth, and we are blessed in Abraham's seed because of justification by the substitutionary death and resurrection from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the true seed of Abraham. That is how the blessing is conveyed. Galatians chapter 3 explains it to us that that is what this means. This does not mean because nations have made a home for the Jews who have been persecuted, made a byword in the earth according to the promise of God that those nations would be blessed for that political choice they made. This is justification. And Galatians 3, the first half, explains it very particularly about this passage and then goes on to explain that the true seed of Abraham is the Lord Jesus Christ. He saith seed. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. This is Galatians 3.16. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one. He's distinguishing between a plural and a singular. And thy seed, which is Christ. The real blessing that comes through Abraham is not us befriending Jews, but us having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the real blessing. And later in that chapter it says that if we have believed and been baptized into Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wonderful passage. But if you really believe that, and if you really lay hold of that, that these huge promises of thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, Abraham's going to have a son that is going to take possession of all his enemies. That's pretty exciting. I want to be on his side. Then we want Jesus Christ's genealogy traced back to Abraham, and both men do that. Abraham is one of the four principal ancestors that I'm showing you today. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. My wife finds pleasure in this passage passage because she likes the way that Jacob died. He got to have a, a family reunion with all of his sons come into the bedroom and gather themselves around the bed. And when he was done talking to them, he drew up his knees into bed and gave up the ghost and his spirit went straight into heaven. Quite a nice way, but I like to remind her that it wasn't so peaceful and loving in that room before he left because he had some terrible things to say about some of those sons of his because they were so wicked. And he had some wonderful things to say about some other sons. And I can't preach the 12 prophecies about the 12 sons of Jacob, but we will get the prophecy about number four. Now, number one had to give up his birthright. And it was given to Joseph, Reuben, because he had slept with Jacob's wife. That's in verses three and four. My brethren, don't ever be discouraged. You just keep trusting in the Lord and obeying everything you could and trust the Lord for your family. Everything you can do, you should do. Everything you've done wrong, ask God to forgive you. Jacob did a lot of things wrong and had a lot of problems in his family, but look at the whole church of God came out of this man's family. This bedroom had the whole church of God in it. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi were sons 2 and 3. They violated the covenant that Jacob made with Shechem about the Shechemites being uh, circumcised in order to have Dinah. So numbers 1, 2, and 3 are gone. They're judged. And there's a curse on them. But then we come to number 4, Judah. Listen to these words. Judah. Now, we're going to notice in just a minute that in Matthew chapter 1, it says, And Jacob begat Judah and all his brethren. 
Because the Holy Spirit wants you to know that there was this gigantic family of 12 sons, and God picked one of them. And he didn't pick number one, he didn't pick number 12, he didn't pick Joseph, he picked Judah. And here's why. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Amen. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his asses colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Prosperity, blessing, and leadership for Judah with all the other sons and their tribes bowing down because the rulers of the church of God and the rulers of the nation of Israel, the two things being the same thing, were going to come out of Judah. So, when we read this about a Shiloh coming, that the scepter is going to stay with Judah, but there's going to be a capital S-H-I-L-O-H Shiloh coming that's going to be the ruler, we want to be able to trace Jesus of Nazareth back to Judah. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you, Luke, in their two respective Gospels. Now let's come over to, and where do we turn? Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, for it describes and records for us the conversation between David and the Lord... Because David had defeated all his enemies and was sitting at peace in his house. And he felt bad for the Lord being still worshipped in a tent. A temporary tabernacle. That's what a tabernacle is. That blue tent that Moses had brought the, the, the blueprint down from Mount Sinai for was where God was worshipped. But David was sitting in a permanent fixed dwelling place. And he wants to do the same for the Lord. And the two of them get in a discussion Because the Lord says, I never suggested that I needed a temple to be worshipped in. I was content with my tent. What put this kind of thought in you? And I I can't pass by this without reminding you of what's here. And I never mentioned anything to Moses about a temple that you want to build me. And then the Lord says, because you had a thought like this, I'm going to build you a house. I'm not going to let you build me a house. You've been a man of war. Your son can build me the house. You can pay for it. And David did pay for it. David didn't care if he got the glory of building it or not. All he wanted to do was he wrote all the checks for it. Why? Because David loved the Lord his God with all his heart. He delighted in the Lord above all others. He was an exception that way. And the Lord said, in the last clause, the last sentence of verse 11, this is Nathan the prophet telling David what the Lord thinks about his idea. Also, The Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. Is that one of the sweetest... Now, you've got to read the whole chapter because it goes on. And David says, O Lord, no God has ever spoken to any man like you have spoken to me. 
but let it come to pass just as you've worded it. Because it is awesome. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. And here's these two expostulating with each other, and it's just a delight to the soul. And I want all of you, and I want to be among you, diving into 2 Samuel and finding our place there, that we love the Lord like David did. Also, the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. Now, what did he mean? That the Lord was going to send some two-by-fours on a gift truck from the Salvation Army and have a little house built for David? No. By the house he meant his sons were going to sit as the heirs to David's throne forever. And David's heir is sitting on David's throne right now. And David's heir has the keys of David in his hands right now. And the man is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, our Savior. And so here is just one passage. Listen. Sometimes in the Bible, and it's it's obvious because we don't speculate with Scripture, but we will submit to Scripture that it can have multiple senses. And here it's got multiple. Verse 12, When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee. That's the house he's going to build them. It's an, it's an heir. It's a, it's a son that's going to sit on his throne. Which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name. Is this true of Solomon? Is it also true of the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. True of Solomon? No. Jesus? Yes. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, Christ or Solomon? Okay. I will chasten him with the rod of men. Jeroboam was the thorn in Solomon's side and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Israel loved David. David was their George Washington and a whole lot better. David was their national hero. David killed Goliath. David extended the borders of their country from the Euphrates River in uh, Iraq to the Nile River in Egypt. David gathered tribute of all the nations round. They were very prosperous. He held great dinners. He held great celebrations. They loved David. David was their hero. David delivered them from the Philistines. David delivered them from all their enemies. But here, the Word of God promised that the throne of David would be established forever and someone that would come out of David's bowels would be on that throne. So, we need a genealogy that takes Jesus Christ back to David. Do we get one? No, we don't. We get two. And I love the Word of God. We get two. Two. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Is Jesus of Nazareth the son of David? Twice over. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Brethren, I have a whole collection of verses here about Jesus being of David. Very quickly, look at Isaiah 9. You know this verse. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. Do you know what's all in those verses? It's that David is going to have an heir sitting on his throne, running David's kingdom, and it's never going to be destroyed, and it's going to be a kingdom made up of perfect peace and righteousness and justice, and this king is going to be perfect in his reigning. And then the sentence of guarantee at the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so, when we can trace Jesus back to David, we find we know that Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. You say, well, I knew it was fulfilling those two verses. Well, you're so smart. We're excited about that. But do you know how many Jews there were that grew up memorizing Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 about the Messiah that was coming that didn't know Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled it? That's why Paul's so worked up in Romans 9 and 10. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great, that I have continual sorrow in my heart for Israel, my brethren, my kinsmen. They don't know Christ. We know Him, but I want you to know Him better. And I want you to walk out of here today loving Him more. We have a hero. We have a governor. We have a ruler. We have a prince. We have a prince of peace. We, we have an everlasting father, a mighty God, a counselor. He's our attorney. You need an attorney with the, with the Almighty God because you're a sinner, but we have one. It's the Lord Jesus. And of His government and peace, I'm, I love a ruler that makes sure there's constant, perfect peace. I love peace. Amen. He's the Prince of Peace. Right. To establish it with just judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Now this is Isaiah writing. And this is a long time after David died, Solomon died, Rehoboam died. Isaiah comes along and tells us this. Well, we want to be able to find Jesus traced back to David and praise God for the wonderful Word of God, those chapters that you like to skip over because they got so many hard words to pronounce. They have beauty, power, and faith building for us. Oh, Lord, help me. Jeremiah 23, 5. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. That's the Lord Jesus. I'm going to raise him unto David, because he's going to come out of David. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30 and verse 9. I'm going to get verse 8. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. That is of Jacob. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Notice it doesn't say the son of David. It says David their king. But Jeremiah is hundreds of years after David died. But he calls him David because he's like David. He's a great king, a benevolent king. A, de- a one that delighted in God. He's greater than David by every measure. And he's the son of David. 
Oh, let's look, uh, turn to the end of the Bible. I'll go ahead and skip all the other ones for the sake of time, and I, and I should. But they're a blessing to read them. Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. And the 16th verse. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So here you are. You're a woman of Thyatira, a seller of purple. And you read the book of Revelation. And Jesus says in the red writing that he's of David. And you sure would like a genealogy to prove that. Well, the blessed God gave you two of them. Matthew 1 and Luke 3. Do you follow me? I I want you to... We grew up knowing Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Shiloh of Judah, and the son of Adam. But what if you didn't know it? That's why it's in the Bible. And even though we do know it, and I know it pretty well, that Jesus is the son of those four men, I love these two genealogies. And I want you to love them with me. Let's go look at Matthews. we got to do this quickly, and we'll not work on all these names and all these relationships. That'd take a while, wouldn't it? If you're wondering about why it's 3 times 14 in verse 17, that's a way of memorizing. How do you memorize when you've got a long list of 42 things to memorize? You pick, you pick principal events that are in them. Was Abraham a pretty decent event? Yes, and that was the starting point. Was David a pretty decent event? Yep, that was 14 generations. Was being carried into Babylon a pretty big event for Israel? Yep. And is the end point a pretty big event? Yep. So you've got three sections of 14 Even though the Lord keeps chronologies and genealogies different than we would, He gets them down to 14 apiece. For the sake of anybody that wants to remember quickly, there's 14 between Abraham and David, 14 between David and Babylon, and 14 between Babylon. I can memorize them. I can do it. It's just showing that it's something that you can memorize and count on. It's, it's proven. It's in Scripture. It's God's inspired genealogy. I've already read to you the first verse earlier this morning. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Notice, the Holy Spirit, through Matthew, also known as Levi, wants you to know two of Jesus' famous ancestors. Abraham and David. A- Matthew... From all we can understand, and I'm just going to tell you the differences here, and I'll give you a few reasons why. Matthew wrote to the Jews, so he stopped with Abraham. The Jews didn't care about going one generation past Abraham. They just wanted to make sure that Jesus was of Abraham, that he was of the Jews, that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So that's all the farther that he runs back. And once you run back to Abraham, then to have him the son of David, because they knew all the scripture, they they knew Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and all the times that and Hosea, and Psalms, and all the times in Second Samuel 7 that Jesus was the son of David. So those are the things that were important to them. There was no reason to go back further. He was a Jewish tax collector, and so he considered Jesus as a legal Jew. So the way that Matthew looks at Jesus is his legality. Through his presumed father, His legal father is Joseph, who was begotten of Jacob, in verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. 
And then the birth of Jesus Christ is explained that it was by the power of God and that she was a virgin and Joseph knew that. And the angel explained it all to Joseph. But notice that it was Jacob that begat Joseph. So Joseph's father was Jacob in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16. Now let's start down through it and just pull out a few things. In verse 2, And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Now it says Judas because the focus is on Judas, but remember there were 12 boys. And someone's got to make a decision. Who is this lineage going to run through? There were 11 other options. Or actually more than that, but we're going to leave Levi alone for a while. It came through Judah. And so, that is important to be noted there, that of those 12, if it had been any one of the other 11 or 12, then the prophecy in Genesis 49 about Shiloh coming from Judah would fall to the ground. It wouldn't have been verified. It wouldn't have been confirmed. And it had to be. They, these Jews knew Genesis 49. And to have this shows Jesus being traced back up as the Shiloh of Judah. Judah was the fourth son. Was he the son of the favored wife? No. He was the son of Leah. Is there some benefit in that? Your parents may not have been the choicest of parents in the history of the world. Might not have had a loving relationship like they should have, like Jacob did not have with Leah. And yet God chose to honor Leah with Jacob as the father and mother of Judah, who is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just want to remember that about Judah being born to Leah. Leah gave birth to six of Jacob's twelve sons. Was Judah perfect? Oh no, we're about to get into that. Now we've mentioned Reuben and Simeon and Levi and their wickedness. Simeon and Levi killed a whole city in cold blood. Contrary to the covenant their father Jacob had made with that city, Reuben slept with his father's wife. What did Judah do? There's a whole chapter in the Bible about it. Genesis chapter 38. He slept with his daughter-in-law because he didn't keep his promise to give his daughter-in-law the third son as a husband so that she could raise seed to herself and to the dead brothers. There were three sons. It's all in Genesis chapter 38. So again, we're comforted that though Judah did have some sins in his life comparable to Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, the Lord by grace picked Judah. And out of the twelve, he just said, that's the one. There is no chance with the God of heaven. Judah saved Joseph's life. You can read about that in Genesis 37. And Judah was the surety for Benjamin when the, the sons begged Jacob to let Benjamin go down into Egypt so they could get more food out of that mean old guy that's down there working for Pharaoh, who was their little brother Joseph. Now let's go to the next verse. And Judas, out of those 12 brothers, it was Judas that God picked. Judah, this is a Hebrew word coming to Greek to English, so it drops the H, picks up an S, and it's Judas. Begat Pharez and Zerah of Tamar. So we've got twins now. Judas, Judah, when he committed incest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, she conceived twins. And, and she comes to birth. 
And Zerah sticks his arm out. And the midwife grabs a little thread and ties it around its wrist. This is the firstborn. Pulls it back in. And Perez bolts out, all body, no threads. And she said, you've made a breach on my little plans here. I'm going to name you a breach. Because the Lord made a breach on her little plans and picked Perez to be the one that Jesus Christ would come through instead of Zerah. You say, is that all described? In the... It is all in the Bible. One stuck his arm out, and she said, well, that's got to be the one that's coming. Now, I don't like to think about a birth canal that's got one child sticking its arm out and the other bolting past it. I, I just cringe and fold up in the middle. And so should every woman. That's a lot going on downstairs. Oh, thank you, Lord, for creating Sherry. I like to father them. She likes to birth them. Lord, thank you for this. Why are the twins mentioned? Why doesn't it just say, Judas begat Perez? Because it's telling you what an event that's recorded in the Old Testament for you to go back and remember, yes, there were twins, and God surprised everybody by sending Perez out first. So Judas begat Perez. And Zerah, those are the the names of the two twins of Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judas. Now we've got the first woman mentioned, Tamar. Have you ever heard or read that there are relatively devout Christians that will say, I hate abortion. I stand against abortion at any time, for any cause, except rape or incest. Have you ever read or heard anything like that? That they will make a little bit of an exception? Well, I I just want to tell you that there's no accidents in God's government of the world. And though that conception in Tamar by her father-in-law Judah could have been aborted, as some would suggest, because what a terrible thing to have an incestuous result like that. But I want to tell you something. Tamar... And those two twins are in the Bible. Because God is graciously able to make something great from what we consider a terrible event. Because that is what God is in the business of doing with all of us. From the very beginning of the world with Adam and Eve, we corrupted our whole situation on earth. But He's undone it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's Tamar mentioned, and I don't know how to tell you anything else about Tamar and why she's in Matthew chapter 1 except to rejoice in the grace, mercy, and overruling of God of terrible things that happen in, in people's lives. And listen, brethren, you don't have to look very far or ask very many questions to find mixed up families that have confused things by evil, by sin, by sin among their members. And yet the Lord's able to overrule it all, and He does so right here by bringing Jesus Christ right through Tamar, who sat there in the door of her tent and seduced her father-in-law into sin with her. I love the Lord. And I love how He's able to do that. And we trust Him for everything. Even the worst mistakes we can ever make, God is able to bring glory out of them. Do you know what we're going to run into when we get to the fourth woman? How are we going to get to David two ways? Both times they run through the womb of an adulteress. 
Okay, let's keep reading. The women in the genealogy. Total of five with Mary, because Mary's mentioned down in verse 16, include four cases of grace. Of course it's grace with Mary as well, but the other ones we know of some of their troubled backgrounds. First woman is Tamar, and we've just dealt with her in verse 3. The next woman is Rachab, and she is in verse 5. Selman begat Boaz of Rachab. Now I'm pronouncing a little bit differently than it is in your New Testament of your King James Bibles because those names are slightly altered and I don't want you to lose track of who we're talking about. Selman married Rahab, here called Rachab. Who was she? What was she? She was a Canaanite, all of which were to be annihilated. She was a prostitute of the Canaanites. She worshipped a different god until the Lord changed her. And Sherry and I had so much pleasure last night, we did a little reading beyond your beyond the preparatory reading, but to go back to Joshua chapter 2 and read about Rahab. And when you go to Hebrews 11 and when you go to James chapter 2, do you know that the Bible still calls her Rahab the harlot? James 2, or the harlot Rahab, Hebrews chapter 11. Did God still consider her a harlot? No way. But why is He doing that? For us to thank the Lord for grace. He's able to forgive. She was once a harlot. She's in the hall of faith. Do you think he'd put a harlot that wasn't repentant in the hall of faith? Or as an example of justification in James chapter 2? But look what grace it is. You've never sinned too great for God to forgive you and for God to make something great out of your life. Never. That's why these women are here. Rahab, don't you love her? Go back and read Joshua 2 and get excited about her. You should, have, you should hear her tell the spies how I know that your God, the Lord, and it's in all caps. Do you know what she popped out with? I am that I am. She told them, I know about your I am that I am. Ever since you guys have left Egypt, look what you've done. Look what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Look what you did to Og. The whole Cain, all, all of Canaan is trembling at you. I know that your, your God, He created the heavens and He created the earth. Will you have mercy on me and my family? You get them all in your house and you hang a scarlet thread out that window. Must have been thinking about Zara. You hang a scarlet thread out that window and get everyone in your house. If they step outside your house, their blood is on their own heads and we're free of our oaths. But every one of your family that you get in your house, they'll be delivered. And here's this Canaanite prostitute that gets in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it get any better than that? How can you celebrate God's grace more than that to find Rahab and then to find her in Hebrews 11 than to find her in James chapter 2? I speak to sinners today. Sinners. The Lord forgives. And the Lord can make something great of your life no matter what you did for how long. Praise His glorious name. What in the, why did we even have to have her name? Salmon begat Boaz, because it takes you back to an Old Testament story. This genealogy is tying in a whole bunch of stories, but you can go back and check out the details, and it's glorifying God that in the lineage of His Son were some sinners who needed His Son, apparently, more than most. Just like me. Just like you. Right. Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Wouldn't that be neat? Hi, Rahab. I've heard some awesome things about you. My name's Salmon. Have you ever considered marrying an Israelite? 
said it. It's not in the Bible. But they got married. They got married. He wasn't afraid. He saw her faith. He knew that God had made a difference in that woman. Praise the Lord. Solomon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Immediately, Boaz is willing to marry Ruth the Moabitess. And Ruth is mentioned here because we have a four-chapter book named Ruth that tells us all about the details of this particular marriage and relationship. Ruth came from the nation of Moab. The Moabites were known for their whoremongering. Horrible background. Balaam had taught the Moabites to commit whoredom with Israel to try to destroy them that way. When Balaam couldn't curse Israel, remember Balak, the king of Moab, tried to get Balaam to curse Israel, but he couldn't. He blessed Israel instead. Then Balaam said, you can corrupt them by marrying their sons and their daughters. They were a whoremongering nation. Ruth came from them. There's a whole book of the Bible about her. And so it's all being tied together how the Lord brought in another Moabite this time into the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the greatest family tree in the history of the world because the end object of it, Jesus of Nazareth, is the greatest man, greater than all other men from the history in the history of the world combined. And look at these women that got into this line. Don't grieve about your past. God forgives. Go forward. Marry your Salmon. You say, I'm already married to my Boaz. Then I'm thankful. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. Oh, we've got David now. We started with Abraham. Now we've got David. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Meaning Uriah the Hittite. One of David's 37 chosen men. David committed adultery with her. The Lord took the first child. The second child was Solomon through Joseph. And what a, what a great event that is. And so we've got the fourth woman mentioned here. And look at the backgrounds of these women with the forgiveness of God. Amen. You know, where's poor Abigail? She was a woman of good understanding that feared the Lord. The Lord makes choices sometimes. He blessed Abigail in different ways. But he blessed Bathsheba with the death of a son and then Solomon and Nathan. And we're going to need both of them. Right now we need Solomon. If nothing else, these four women show God's providential overruling of sexual sin. In the case of Tamar and Perez, God's gracious forgiveness and inclusion of Gentiles with Rahab and Ruth, and God's merciful forgiveness of sexual sinners again with Bathsheba. Thank you, Lord, for sticking that even into a genealogy. Let's come down to verse 8. And Asa begat Jehoshaphat, that's Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Uzziah, or Uzziah. Well, now there's a problem in that verse. Matthew 1.8 has left out three kings. Three important kings of Judah. That is not consecutive genealogy. Three kings are missing. How could the Holy Spirit say it's three times fourteen? Look at all the fudging in numbers to get to 14. 14 is the right number. Because those three kings don't belong. Do you know how to prove and where to go and who's missing and why? It's been preached to you before. In 2 Kings 8.26, it tells us that Ahaziah, 
who was truly the son of Jehoram, in the middle of verse 8, was 22 years old when he began to reign. 2 Chronicles 22 and verse 2 tells us that Ahaziah was 42 years old when he began to reign. And along come the Bible skeptics and God-haters. See? The Bible's got lies in it. We say, see? There's advanced revelation for those that believe God. Ahaziah was 22 years old biologically. Ahaziah was 42 years old in the kingdom of Omri, the father of Ahab. That's used three times in the Bible to age a man, not by his biological years, but by connection to another father. And all Bible-believing men for many generations have understood this. You know what all the new modern Bible translations do? They just go into 2 Chronicles 22.2 and say 42, baloney. Change it to 22. They who worship the Hebrew will change the Hebrew whenever they feel like it. We will not change the Bible. We will submit to the Bible and see if the Lord will be merciful to us to help us figure out why it says he was 22 years old in one place and 42 in another. He was 42 in another. And there's a long study on our website entitled The Worst Contradiction in the Bible. And we're meaning that a little facetiously. But if you'll go to the home page of our website, go down to the search box at the bottom and type in Worst Contradiction or type in Ahaziah, you will find a document that will encourage your faith in your Bible. Amen. Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son, married Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab. Remember, Ahab was the king of Israel and was a Baal worshiper. Remember, Jehoram was the son of Jehoshaphat and the king of Judah. So here's the king of Judah marrying the daughter Athaliah of Ahab and Jezebel, and he acted like he belonged to Ahab and Jezebel. And his son did, and his son did, and the Lord said, as he promised, he would mark and hold the iniquities of the fathers to the children of the third and the fourth generation. So boom, boom, boom. Three kings of Judah blown out because the Lord assigned them to Israel, that they belong with the Baal worshippers Ahab and Jezebel. No one else knows how to explain those three kings missing from Matthew 1.8, except going back and finding another contradiction in the Old Testament. And when you get the two contradictions added together, you've got perfect consistency, and God's Word stands, and we are Bible believers. And it's a wonderful thing. And so that's all hidden there in that 8th verse. But if you were a Jew... And you, underst- and you understood the Bible, you'd, be, you'd know that. Because you would know the 22 and the 42 discrepancy. And you would know how God hated Ahaziah and his son and his son because of their connection to Ahab and Jezebel. So they're, they're cut out. Thank you, Lord, for explaining things like that to us. Amen. There's some other difficulties here, but I'm not going to tell you about them. We're Bible believers, so you just go ahead and just read it and believe it and trust it because there's things here that are to challenge our study of God's Word, but not in these few minutes. We come to Jacob begetting Joseph, the husband of Mary, in verse 16, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Three times fourteen taking out those three kings and making a a couple of other small adjustments to help in memorization, just to lock it down as to how many there were 
And the Lord doesn't tell us any more than that in that 17th verse. Let's turn to Luke 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke is writing Theophilus. Luke was a companion of Paul. Luke's ministry was among Gentiles. Luke was a medical doctor. Luke cared not about the Jewish legality of Jesus of Nazareth, but rather the biological (coughs) ancestry of Jesus. So, when we come to the 23rd verse of Luke 23, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. But see, he wasn't really the son of Joseph. He was the son of Mary. So the next man that's mentioned is Heli. And that is not Joseph's father, Jacob. That's Mary's father. Because we're going to go back to the tradition of genealogies of tracing it through the fathers. But the first father is the father of Mary because Joseph wasn't really involved except legally for Jews, which is what Matthew did as a tax accountant. A medical doctor explaining what he's doing in verse 23. You say, I wish he would have explained it a little bit better. So do I. But you know, we're going to trust the Lord with the amount of explanation he gives us. As was supposed that Joseph was the father, but he wasn't the father because Mary had a virgin conception and birth. And this man, Heli, is not Jacob from Matthew 1.16. It's someone totally different. And we're going to be given an entirely different genealogy. There's only one person it could be. And that's Mary's father. I hope that's enough explanation. But we start down through this particular genealogy. He showed the biological basis by tracing through Mary, not the father's legality like Matthew did by tracing through Joseph. Joseph was the legal father of Jesus of Nazareth in the reckoning of the Jews. But Luke is not dealing that way. Luke's showing his humanity by tracing him all the way back to Adam. He isn't trying to show his Jewishness by ending at Abraham. He's taking him all the way back to that promise we had in Genesis 3.15. A genealogy back to Adam had value for Theophilus. And it had value for Paul's Gentile converts. Because we want Jesus being that promised and prophesied seed of the woman that would bruise the serpent's head. And we've got him right here. Because you run this genealogy from verse 23 down to verse 38, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. There's some rightly dividing the word of truth, isn't it? Does that verse prove that Adam's going to be in heaven? No, it gives us another way to look at the words, the son of God. The son of God can be Jesus, who's the son of God in a different way, Adam's the son of God here by the direct creative act of God. We're the sons of God by being adopted into the family of God. And the angels are called the sons of God. Do we really need to rightly divide the word of truth? I think so. When we get all those different sons of God. Joseph is the son of Heli, Mary's father, since mothers were not used in genealogies. And he was supposed to be the father of Jesus, but he wasn't really because Mary was his mother and he didn't have a human father, but because he was supposed to be the father, it starts with Joseph and goes to Mary's father and goes on back. And as we go on back, Matthew and Luke agree perfectly between Abraham and David. 
Because to get from Abraham to David, they got there the same way. But nowhere else does it agree. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 3. What are the ten chapters in 1 Chronicles that you don't like to read? The first ten. And you know how I'm saying that, I hope. There's so many genealogies in those ten chapters. But you know what? There's some little sweet things like I'm about to show you. Is the prayer of Jabez in these first ten chapters? Oh yeah. You'd never know the prayer of Jabez unless you said, I'm going to knuckle down and concentrate for a little while and work through these genealogies. And there's some more jewels like that. Every word of God is pure. and There's things to find. 1 Chronicles 3. Starting at verse 1, it's listing the sons of David. and Because he was polygamous by having multiple wives, he had a whole bunch of children by different women. But let's get down to verse 5. And these were born unto him in Jerusalem. Shimea and Shobab and Nathan and Solomon. Four of Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. There's Bathsheba. By putting Solomon in the list, we know who the mother is. We know that it's just a different spelling for the name Bathsheba. But notice, we've got three other sons that came out of that woman. One died, four lived. We've got Shimea and Shobab. Then we have Nathan and Solomon, four, by the mother of Solomon, Bathsheba or Bathsheba. Now let's come back to Luke chapter 3 and find where we run into David. Verse 32. Well, we need 31 because we're running up stream. Verse 31, which was the son of Melia, which was the son of Menon, which was the son of Metatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. And there we, we get lined up again with Matthew's genealogy, which was the son of Jesse, Obed, Boaz, Salmon, Naasen, and so forth, all the way to Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ is the son of David by both his mother and his legal father. And we have two genealogies to show us that. That Jesus is the son of Adam, Luke. Jesus is the seed of Abraham, Matthew and Luke. Jesus is the Shiloh of Judah, both. And Jesus is the son of David, both. Two different ways. One through Nathan, one through Solomon. Praise the Lord. Amen. We have a David. We have someone that has the right to the throne. He should be sitting on David's throne. His mother came out of David's loins. His legal father came out of David's loins. And his actual father was God Almighty. Amen. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ by these genealogies. If you're really curious about studying genealogies... I would tell you that in Luke chapter 3 and verse 36 is a man named Canaan that Genesis doesn't know anything about. You say, well, what do you do when you come on something like that? Oh, my wife saw me last night in private. My face starts to glow when I get a big smile. Lord, I love it when you can pull one over on me that I can't figure out yet, but I know you're going to tell me soon. I'm 55. He's going to tell me soon, one way or another. Luke 3.36 has a Canaan in it that's not in the genealogy in Genesis chapter 10. 
Now in Genesis chapters 5 and 10, where we have the genealogies, we have years attached to them, and it's very, very particular. And I trust those very, very particular verses, and I'm going to wait for the Lord to tell me that he had a surprise all along, and he's just reminding me of how ignorant I am of his word by having a Canaan in verse 36 that's not in Genesis. You say, is that the way you handle difficulties in this? Absolutely. What other way is there except to tear it apart, throw it away, and say it's got an error in it? It doesn't have an error in it. That 22 and that 42 are one of the most beautiful things in the entire Bible to me. It appears to be an error, but it's not an error. It has advanced revelation. And I wonder what the advanced revelation is by Canaan in Luke 3.36. You say, that's too much faith. No! It's necessary faith for God to open up anything in His Word to you. What's the option? To be a skeptic. I'm not going to criticize God's Word. I trust it. I trust it fully. And I only tell you this because I'm not going to play games with you. I'm going to tell you the facts. There are some difficulties in these chronologies. Some of them can be figured out. Some of them, not yet. And I don't care. I love the Lord for the way He wrote His Word. Do you know what some people do when they find Canaan in Luke 3.36? They do the opposite of what I do. And I just wave goodbye to them. Try the Koran. Try sitting bull's visions. After he smoked himself by smoking peyote weeds in his buffalo chip heated teepee. If you don't want to trust the Bible. I'm a little off subject because I want to get right back to what these genealogies are for and we finish. You want to talk about a magnificent matchmaker? I'll tell you about a magnificent matchmaker. Do you know that he had the plan for the Lord Jesus Christ before he created Adam and Eve? Do you know that every time something happened, do you know how upset Jacob would have been when he heard about incest between Judah and Tamar? Do you know how much hand-wringing there was? But there wasn't any in heaven. None. And we wring our hands sometimes, and the only time we should wring our hands is when we've sinned. And we should wring them long enough to find full repentance with the Lord and then trust Him for His forgiveness, stand up and go forward because He can make something beautiful out of something ugly. The greatest marriage of all time is ours to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know your husband? I hope you know him a little bit better now. I hope you appreciate these two chapters and why they're in the Bible to share with us how that he's the son of David twice over, the the seed of Abraham, the Shiloh of Judah, the son of Adam, the son of God. By direct creation, Adam was. The Bible has a considerable number of prophecies and genealogical records for you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. These facts are recorded in the Bible that you can know the certainty of the things in which we've been instructed. The things most surely believed among us are that Jesus was the son of David twice. And that Joseph was only his supposed father. That God was his father. Because he had to fulfill the virgin birth prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 and so on. Knowing the glory of the second Adam from Romans 5. And isn't Romans 5 one of our favorite passages in the Bible about our salvation? By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We can trace the Lord Jesus all the way back to Adam and Eve. That the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the devil. Thank you Lord. And that we 
a nation far removed from Israel, is blessed by the seed of Abraham, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, shown in both genealogies. And that we would see the regal prophecies of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah till Shiloh come. And he's reigned ever since. Thank you, Lord. And then we see David, the son of David, the throne of David, the keys of David, the kingdom of David, the tabernacle of David. And we're in it today. We are in David's kingdom right now, according to Acts 15, 16, because we're believing Gentiles. And who's our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Prince? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. What did the children shout out and scream when Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time when they threw palm branches on the ground and stripped their clothes off and threw it down? What did they scream out? The king, the son of David. And the Pharisees said, don't you hear those blaspheming cries? And what did Jesus the king say? If, If they didn't say it, the rocks would cry out. Because Jesus is David the king. And far better than David. Far better than David. Justice and judgment prevail in his kingdom and there is no end of his kingdom. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. No one's ever going to take that kingdom away from the Lord Jesus Christ and you're part of it. Love the Lord Jesus Christ this day. Let's go out and live like we are citizens of another kingdom. We are part of a royal nation when we go outside of this assembly. And though we are Americans, because we were born in this country and by birth we become American citizens, we are truly citizens of a heavenly kingdom and Jesus is our David King, Prince, and Savior. Knowing the sure mercies of David, we confirm Jesus was David's son by both Joseph and Mary. Without controversy, great is the mystery of God in us. God was manifest in the flesh. And he came to us by Tamar, by the little twin that didn't have the thread, by Rahab, by Ruth, by Bathsheba twice. Lord, we bless and praise you. Don't ever be discouraged. There is only hope in Christ Jesus. No matter your sins, He forgives. And God is faithful and just to forgive by Jesus Christ's purchase for us. Let us go forward loving our Savior, living for Him today. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.